0: Amen. We're going to read together now these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Will you read these words with me? While Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, early in the morning He came again to the temple. All the people came to Him, and He sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to Him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, We have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I I forgot. Mm, Yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see... The memo about this yeah 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 i have the memo right here i just uh forgot but uh it's not shipping out till tomorrow so there's no problem yeah if you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on that would be great and uh i'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo okay yeah no i, I, bye, I, I have the memo i've got it it's right hello phil what's happening Those dang TPS reports, man. Have you ever had those? Um, uh, So today we begin a new sermon series called Difficult People. Uh, What we're learning in our world today is is that our world is really more divided than ever. Uh, What we see is people on the other uh, political side. Uh, There's people in our office space. There's people even in our own families, in our homes. Uh, What we've realized is that in the world there are difficult people, and how do we respond to them? How do we respond to them, we as followers of Christ, how do we respond to them in a biblical and a loving way? Uh, if you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. It might help guide you through. And, and if you're somebody who likes to you know, make notes and, and help you remember things, and put those before you. Uh, and if you don't like those things, you don't have to fill it out. But um, if that is something you like to do, you're welcome to do that. And, and what we learn, um, put simply, is that difficult people are difficult. Amen. Amen. Does anybody have any difficult people in their lives? Anybody? Yes. Have some. Difficulty. How many people have difficult people at work? Somebody you work with maybe? Uh, is the difficult person sitting next to you right now? Is that? Nope. Don't raise your hand. That's a trick and you failed. Um, difficult people are difficult, right? Because if it was easy to do this, if it was easy to, to, to deal with these kinds of people, we would have already done it. You know, we we would have already dealt with it. We would have mustered up our own strength and our own willpower, and we would have solved this problem. But what we learn is it's much deeper than that. It's actually much deeper than that, that really this problem is pervasive. It's not just in our own, you know, workplaces and families and and, and homes. It's not just in our own world, but in fact, it's really uh, quite deeper than that. Uh, what we learn is this quote um, from Christine Porath. She says this, that in a, in a survey called Civility America 2016, almost all respondents, 95%, believed we have a civility problem in America. A civility problem in America. That it's not just in politics, it's, it's not just in our homes, that it is everywhere. 95%, nearly all people in the United States believe that we have a problem with civility in America. The people can't be civil with one another. Civility, it's not just like a kindness problem, right? Civility is that like that base level thing, that that common decency kind of thing, right? And that's the problem that they say 95% of people say we have. We can't be commonly decent to one another. We have this problem in the United States. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this problem, how to deal with what we might pose as difficult people. We're basically on this book by, by Christine Porath. Uh, she says it's called Mastering Civility, a Manifesto for the Workplace. Um, and, and if you're somebody who likes to read, we put this book before you. It's really a, a great read. and has some really practical steps in there on how to address this civility problem. But it's not just for the workplace. Right, it's, it's not just for our, our jobs because here's what we learn: the difficulty or incivility it starts at work, but rarely stays at work. Amen, amen. You've seen this happen. Right, You've had a difficult day wherever it is you work, whether you work in the home with your children or, or if you work you know, in the office or you work you know, at, at, at a, you know, a firefighter, police officer in the hospital, wherever you work, you've experienced that where you've had a bad day. You know, maybe your boss just like, really yelled at you or, or somebody else was just really upset or something bad happened and what happened? But you came home and something wasn't quite right and you just kind of blew up right? And, and, and whatever that bad thing was that happened in the office, you brought home with you. And, and we're left kind of trying to debrief that and saying, what, what happened? You know, I, I had that happen to me at work, and it felt awful. And then I, you know, brought it home and, and did the exact same thing. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? The problem, friends, is, is pervasive. The problem is pervasive because the problem is not just them. You know, it's not just those other people, but we ourselves have been that. Right, we ourselves have been those difficult people, and 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 that is is a problem as well, and and it's not just a problem because we're difficult. Actually, uh, Christine Porath um, actually quantifies this. Uh, She says this that uh, the American Psychological Association estimates that workplace stress costs the U.S. economy five hundred billion dollars a year. Five hundred billion dollars just because we're stressed at work. Just because we experienced some kind of stressor at work cost the U.S. economy $500 billion a year. Uh, but not only this, uh, when they surveyed more than 800 physician executives, 99% believed that bad behavior in the hospitals negatively affected their patient's care. So the, the, the doctors believed that because of, of workplace quarrel, or because something, somebody did something negative that negatively affected somebody else in the hospital, that resulted in negative results of a, of a patient's care. Put simply, bad people kill. Amen? Yeah, you've seen this, right? I mean, and it kills us not just like in this plain way, but there's this small piece of us, this stress, this anxiety, right? Maybe you've had this, maybe you've experienced this, that you know you have to go talk to this person the next day, or you know that this fight is just brewing, and any minute now it's going to blow up. You know, and, and it happens maybe even the, the night before. You know, maybe on Sunday night, you haven't been in the office in a couple of days and it's been great, but now you know you've got to go back on Monday. You've got to see that person. And and that anxiety starts to build up, you know, the, the night before. And this thing starts to build in your stomach and you can't sleep all night. And you you get up in the morning and get ready and you're just exhausted before you ever go in. And and you go into the office and, and, and there's that person and it's worse than you thought. And, and all of these things are falling apart and you think, Why? why is this person like this? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Well, Christine offers this up. She says this, that incivility usually arises not from malice, but from ignorance. What that means is that most people who are difficult, even when we are difficult, we're not trying to be difficult. We're not just intentionally doing this. Nobody gets ready in the morning, gets ready, you know, going into the office and says, you know, I'm going to be a difficult person today. You know like I, I, you know what? Somebody's going to ask for a report, and I'm going to say I'm going to give it to them, and then I won't. You know, like nobody, nobody does that. Nobody says, you know, Bill's going to say something during staff meeting, and I'm going to make fun of him. You know, nobody, nobody says that. Nobody intentionally goes into the workplace saying, I'm going to be difficult today. Most of the time, whenever we do it or when somebody else does it, it's out of ignorance. It's out of a lack of knowing. And so we, as Christians, as followers of Christ, are going to do something about right we are going to act we are going to do something and and, and here's what i'm going to offer us today uh, that if we're going to do something it's going to look like this that the opposite of difficulty is kindness and forgiveness not non difficulty now my english teacher would throw up at that sentence but what that means is that the opposite of difficulty is kindness and forgiveness not non action right so that if we see something happen if we're at work or if we're in our home or wherever we are and we see this incivility happen And, you know, and and we see, you know, somebody make fun of somebody else directly to their face, you know, or or just say something really mean or rude to them. And we see that happen. And, And in our mind, you know, we want to kind of shirk off and we want to, you know, not do anything. And we think, well, if I don't do anything, I didn't participate. Right? If I don't do anything, at least I wasn't, you know, mean to that person. And, and, and that's, that's true, but also we as Christians are called not to be people who shirk away from that kind of thing, but engage, and not engage with just like an equal type of, of difficulty or arrogance or whatever it is. We are called to be people who engage with kindness and forgiveness. People who engage with kindness and forgiveness. And my hope is, my hope, my prayer for all of us today is that when we are in those situations, when there is somebody who, who, you know, is just ready to fight, you know, how they come into your office, they barge in, you know, they've got that vendetta, they've got that mission, they've got that goal, and there's this thing that happens in us, right? That emotion that bubbles up. That emotion that bubbles up. Because the truth is, difficult people all make us feel something different. They all make us feel something different. At at a previous church, I was a I was a youth director, and um, you know I had made some poor choices, and and some parents had actually kind of called me out on it, and, and I really appreciated that. I really appreciated it. But then there was, you know, the, the one parent who, who was just really upset with it, you know, who, who, who couldn't let it go, even though I'd apologized, even though I was trying to make it better, you know, all these things. And so we actually kind of had this blow up in my office, and it, and it just made me feel really uncomfortable, and I, and I, and I didn't like it. and It, just, it, it made me feel awful. And I was actually confiding in a friend of mine who was also a youth director, and I was telling her, and I was saying, you know, I, I found out that when, when somebody comes into my office and, and, and they're really upset, you know, and they, and they, you know, are so angry that maybe even they're raising their voice, there's this thing that happens in me that just immediately assumes that they're right. You know, it immediately assumes that whatever they're saying is correct or else they wouldn't have been so upset about it. You know, they've thought about it enough to actually be mad and, and all these different things, and, and I assume that they're right. And, and maybe that's, like, this kind of, you know, like this, like, animal, like, playing dead thing, you know? Like, maybe it's like this, like, just let, let's get through this conversation and I'll do whatever I can just to, you know, avoid as much conflict as possible. And, and I was telling my friend this, and, and she was shocked by that. She said, really? And she said, anytime somebody comes into my office and is upset with me, I immediately assume that they're wrong. You know, I just, I, and, and I'm combative and I'm, and I'm aggressive and I'm, you know, as, as, as loud as they'll yell, I'll yell back and all these different things. And, and what I realized is that all of us fall somewhere in that spectrum, right? All of us have this kind of emotional response that we make to difficult people. And my hope, my prayer for us is that when we have those conversations, friends, that we would wait, that we would pause for a moment, that we would even pray and let that emotion pass. Because it's only in those moments are we able to actually deal effectively, biblically, and lovingly in these situations what we read about in in the Gospel of John, um, in in this story of this woman caught in adultery and is brought before Jesus. And, And the people who bring this woman to Jesus are the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were Jesus' difficult people, right? I mean, those are the people that Jesus didn't want to see that day. You know, those are the people that while he's getting ready in the morning, he's brushing his teeth or whatever, he's just thinking, man, I hope I don't have to run into them right? He's, he's those people that, like, when he goes into the office and their office door is open, he, like, walks by really quickly. Have you ever done that? Anybody ever done that? Nobody. You all are really good people. You come to church on Labor Day weekend, and you've never avoided anybody in your life. Way to go. Um, no, these are the people that Jesus, you know, wanted to avoid. He wished they wouldn't be there, but they were the ones who kept following him everywhere he went, right? And, and every time they saw Jesus, they kept asking him questions. And they asked him questions to try to trick Jesus. Because all the time, they're trying to figure out, what can we charge this guy with? What can we bring him up on? And, and, and what is he going to do wrong that we can finally catch? And so they try this. They bring this woman before Jesus. And we read it in the Gospel of John uh, that the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and they made her stand before all of them. And they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Uh, now, what do you say? They said this to test him, so they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and, and wrote with his finger on the ground. So, so they catch this woman. They bring her before Jesus. They say, what do you want us to do with her? And Jesus stops. He stops. He, he doesn't respond. Well, Why? because Jesus could see exactly what was going on in that moment. Jesus knew uh, that this was a test. Uh, This was not to solve a legal issue. This woman is brought here to test to try to trick Jesus not to solve a legal issue. Now, how do we know that? And we know with absolute certainty this was not trying to solve a legal issue for one main point. Where was the guy in this entire thing, right? Where was he? And the scribes and the Pharisees are quoting Leviticus chapter 20 that says when two people are caught in the act of adultery, that both the man and the woman are to be brought before in trial and charged with stoning to death. That both the people, the man and the woman, and this is supposed to happen. And so if the scribes and the Pharisees were so concerned about the law of Moses, then they just conveniently forgot about this guy. They, they conveniently forgot that they were supposed to bring this guy up before the, and, and bring him up on charges as well. They forgot this. And so, and so Jesus sees them coming up. He sees them coming up. And, and as they're bringing her up, he immediately recognizes what's going on. And so when they ask him the question, when they ask him the question, instead of responding immediately, Jesus writes on the ground. And, and what is he doing? I mean, is he, is he doodling? Is he, is he writing notes? I, I, I don't know. But he, what he's doing is taking a minute. He's pausing because he knows that in that moment, he doesn't have to respond immediately. He doesn't have to respond immediately. My hope, my prayer for all of us, my hope, my prayer for all of us is when we're in those conversations where it's emotional, where someone it is upset, when something is happening, and they say, You have to do this right now, that we would know that there is always time, that we can pause, if just for a second, and let that emotion pass. That's what Jesus does. He pauses for a moment and he he writes on the ground. And he writes on the ground long enough for the scribes and the Pharisees kind of look around and then like ask Jesus the question again. You know, and and they try to remind Jesus that they're standing there. And, And so they keep on questioning Jesus and Jesus finally straightens up. And he says, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, I don't know what Jesus would have said had he responded immediately. You know, I, I believe it, Jesus was fully God and fully human, that, that he, was, he was flesh, he was God with skin on. And, 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 I'll, and I'll be honest, a lot of times that confuses me, right? I, I don't know exactly what that means. And so I wonder if in that moment, when the scribes and the Pharisees brought the, the woman to Jesus, if he would have responded immediately, would it have been that 100% man thing that responded, that emotional response, might he have said something that he regretted? But Jesus paused. He stopped for a moment and let that emotion pass. And because he paused in that moment, he was able to say this, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. That's not in Leviticus. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Old Testament. their Bible. Jesus was able to pause in that moment and say, let anyone who is among you without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I wonder, friends, how many times have we missed an opportunity to say something like this because we responded immediately. How many times have we missed an opportunity because we responded to our, our, our spouse, our friends, our coworkers? How many times have we missed this opportunity to, to stop, to breathe for a moment and let that emotion pass so that we can make a prayerful response, that we can say something of meaning in that moment? Jesus is able to say this. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And when the scribes and the Pharisees heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So Jesus doesn't respond immediately, and he doesn't respond emotionally. He simply gives a ruling, right? The scribes and the Pharisees come before Jesus. They bring this woman. Jesus can immediately see what's happening. He knows that this is a, this is a trick. These scribes, these Pharisees have a motive. They are trying to trick Jesus, to trip him up so that they can bring up charges against him. And instead of Jesus cutting these guys down to the quick, right? Instead of Jesus just like calling out these guys' motives and saying what they're about and, 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 and everything wrong with them, he simply gives them the ruling. He gives them what they ask for. How many times, you know, there's that piece of us, that, that thing deep down in us that really wants to cut that difficult person down to the quick, Right? You know, you you envision it in your head, and you're like, one day I'm really going to tell that guy or girl off. You know, one day I'm really going to explain, you know, everything that's wrong with them, everything that's wrong with their marriage, everything that's wrong with their children, everything that's wrong with them. One day I'm really going to tell that person off. Jesus had those people standing right in front of him, and in that moment, he could have called it out for what it was. He could have said, this is exactly what's going on, but instead, he doesn't. He uses his kindness and forgiveness. He says, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And they all began to leave. And Jesus is left there doodling in the sand again. And finally, straightens up and he says to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and from now on do not sin again. Jesus' response to difficult people is kindness and forgiveness. Jesus forgave the woman. Jesus forgave the woman who was caught in adultery. And according to the scribes and Pharisees, he had no right to. He had no position to forgive her. But Jesus forgave her and says, neither do I condemn you. What would it take in our lives and what would it look like if we forgave our difficult people? You've got that person, right? You've been thinking about them maybe even before you came in the door. You saw the signs of difficult people. You said, oh, I got one of those. And they've just been burning on your brain, right? They've just been emblazoned in your mind. What if you forgave them? Not because they did anything to earn it. Not because they said they were particularly sorry. And not because they won't ever do it again. But what would it look like, friends, if we chose We forgive. Because holding grudges won't change the world. Keeping score, keeping a tally of every time anybody has ever wronged us will only make us sicker. But if we choose to forgive, friends, that can actually bring healing to a broken world. So my, my hope and my prayer is that we would start doing this. We would be people of kindness and forgiveness, even in the face uh, uh, of hate, even in the face of fear, in our workplaces everywhere, that we would be these people of kindness and forgiveness. And, and, and what does this look like? And, and my hope is that these action steps would be something that we could practice throughout our lives. Throughout our lives, we can start doing these simple things. These simple things that would look like kindness and forgiveness. The first is really easy. The first is really easy. Smile. Uh, smile, right? It's, it's, it's actually, you know, it's a good thing to smile. You look better when you smile. Everything happens. Actually, we learned this too, that the act of smiling itself lifts your mood, boosts your immune system, decreases stress, lowers blood pressure, and reduces your risk of heart attack. So smile. Let's all practice together. Ready? Smile. See, It, it, it's fun to smile, and it's good to smile. And what we know is that, that, that there is this thing ingrained deep in our mind that tries to mirror the demeanor of the person in front of us. What that means is that if you smile at somebody, they are very likely to smile back. And even if they don't, you know, like you're going to live longer or something. You know, like it, it's, it's good. You should smile. You should smile because we are people of kindness and forgiveness. We have been forgiven of all of our sins through Christ our Lord, and that should make us happy. And so we should smile because of it. We should smile. And and, and also, we should start doing this. We should start doing this. We should start to learn people's names, okay? Learn people's names, especially at your work, especially at your work. People who um, maybe you report to and people who report to you should learn their names Uh, because you can't forgive them if you don't know their name. And it's a lot harder to be kind to them if you don't know their name. If you can't call them out by name, if you can't tell them you're happy to see them, uh, that you're glad they're there, uh, maybe ask about their family, um, a- ask about the, you know, the last thing that they told you the last time you saw them, uh, you should learn their names because it's, 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 it's good. And it's a way to practice kindness and forgiveness. Now, here's the thing about learning people's names. This is something you can't fake, okay? You, you can't fake learning people's names because we've all been in that situation, right? We've all been in that situation where, where somebody runs up to you and, and, and they're just so excited to see you. They're like, hey, how's it going? And you've blanked on their name and you do that, hey, Buckaroo, you know, like, um, uh, Buckaroo, that's not my name, you know, like Buckaroo, what is that? And uh, like we try to invent nicknames or something. No, just be honest about it and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name. Help me with the name, You know, help help me with with your with your name again. People like helping other people, and and so help me with your name And, and then repeat it in that conversation. You know, as many times as you can repeat it, help remember that name. So that when we learn people's names, it is easier to be kind to them. We can actually forgive them, we can practice these things, we can practice this kindness and forgiveness if we will learn people's names. And finally, I hope we will listen. I hope we will listen. My guess is that nobody listened to the woman caught in adultery That before she was brought to Jesus, that that nobody would pay any attention to anything that she had to say. And Jesus listens. says, where is everyone? Does no one condemn you? Listen, And, and, and this is going to be hard for some of us, Um, you know, especially if if we're maybe going to a meeting. And my hope is is that you would ask someone to help keep you accountable. Uh, Ask somebody to help keep you accountable to this. Maybe it's at at your work and maybe it's at home. You know, I I don't know if you're like me, but I've noticed times where, you know, my daughter Anna, who's, who's four now, has to say my name repeatedly to get my attention. You ever had this happen? You know, and you're going, why are you saying my name so often? It's because I'm glued to my phone. It's because I'm so ingrained in here that she's learned that she has to say my name at least three times to get my attention. And, and so maybe you could ask your spouse or somebody to say, listen, you know, I, I, I want my kids to only have to say my name once for me to actually pay attention and listen. Or maybe if you're going into a meeting to say, hey, you know, I, um, you know I, I'd really like to listen in this meeting uh, more, than I, th- more than I speak, at least maybe listen twice as, as often as I speak. And can you just count the times that I speak or that I, I interrupt somebody and, then, uh, and let me know how I did. That, that we would start to engage in this because we can't be kind to people. We can't forgive them if we don't listen to them, friends. If we don't listen to them. Again, 95% of people, 95% of people believe that we have a civility problem in America. We have a civility problem in America, and here's the thing those 95% of people are hoping that somebody will do something about it. Nearly everybody sees the problem in our world that we are more divided than ever that there is more apparent hate and fear in our world than there ever has been before, that our world sees all of this going on and hopes and prays for somebody to do something about it. I got to have uh, coffee with a friend of mine down at uh, Starbucks on, uh, across from Integrus Baptist uh, on Northridge Expressway and Independence. And if you've ever, um, you know, as I was coming out of the Starbucks there, uh, I, I saw a man standing at the corner uh, with one of those signs at, at Independence and Northridge Expressway. And, and uh, you know, you, you see this quite a bit and they're always, you know, holding signs and, and uh, say, whatever it is, right? You know, uh, need some help or, or, or whatever it is. And my hope, my prayer is that we would start to keep something in our cars to be able to give to them. That I, that I think Jesus would give something to those people who ask. That's what Jesus said, right? Ask, uh, give to anybody who asks from you. And so I've I started keeping, you know, granola bars or a bottle of water or something. And, and I happened to have a bottle of water in my car when I saw this man as I walked out of the coffee shop. And so, so I reached into my car and I grabbed my bottle of water and he was just standing a few feet away from me. And so I walked over to him and, and, and I shook his hand and said, I'm, I'm Andy. He said, I'm, I'm Anthony. And I gave him his bottle of water and, and then he turned around and he showed me his sign. And I asked if you had to take a picture of it because this was his sign. Practice kindness, forgiveness, and forbearance. That our world sees a problem ingrained so deeply in it that Anthony is willing to stand at a street corner all day with a sign that simply says practice kindness, forgiveness, and forbearance. our world sees this problem and is desperately hoping that somebody will do something about it. Why not the people who proclaim faith in Christ? That we who who claim faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came and lived and died for our sins, that was so powerful that He defeated death itself, that Christ has a power to defeat fear and hate in our world. Friends, what's the point? If we can't address this kind of problem in our world, if we claim to follow Christ who has defeated death, we now have the power. We now have the strength through the Holy Spirit. We now have everything we need to shine light in the darkness to bring love in the face of hate, to bring hope in the face of fear. We are the people that the world has been hoping for. And I hope that you will be an answer to Anthony's prayer. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much Lord, that you created us, that you gave us a name, that you sent us into this world to be your hands and your feet. And Lord, even when we chose our own way, even when we chose ways that were against yours, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to atone for our sins, to blot out every transgression that we have ever had. God, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, for us so that we could come into this world and we can love, to practice kindness and forgiveness even when others don't deserve it, because we didn't deserve it.